Well, good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's so good to be with you here today. I have been home with influenza type B all week and just couldn't wait to get around some people this morning. Wanted to share what I have with you. I mean what I have prepared with you and see what we can't do together. And so <laughs> I've been in isolation. I've been feeling fine for the last uh, at least 24 hours now, but I'm just feeling a little tired. So I'm going to sit down and talk to you a little bit this morning and share this message. And hey, baby girl, <laughs> my Eleanor's in here and I saw her. I hadn't seen her yet this morning. Um, <clears throat> but before I do, uh, if you have joined us for 21 days of prayer uh, we are in day 22 of 21 days of prayer today, and so if you are on that prayer journey with us, uh, thank you so much for partnering with us and, and committing to it with us. If you did 21 days of a fast with us this year, you did it. Congratulations. I hope that it blessed you, and yeah, give yourself a hand. Come on. It's hard. I hope that it has blessed you and that you really feel like it has set you in the right start on the right path for this year. I just really believe that when we honor God with the first of everything, including the first part of our year, that he blesses that. And so I've been praying blessings over you all week uh, from, from my bed under my covers and, and uh and I, and I hope that that has been great for you. Here's what I would encourage you. Uh, if you have uh, been in a habit of prayer for the last 21 days, uh, that it takes 21 days to develop a new habit. And so what I would encourage you that if, if you have, for the first time, committed to 21 full days of prayer, don't stop there. That keep going on day 22 and 23 and 24 and on. And uh, I, I believe that if you will commit not just to a season of prayer, but to a lifetime of prayer, give this year to God in prayer every day. Uh, meet him in that place and pursue him in that moment that you, your life will be changed completely. I believe prayer changes everything. And that when we pray first and we make it just a central part of our lives, that our entire world shifts and changes. And so uh, that's my prayer for you is that day 22 uh, continues what you started on day one of 21 days of prayer. Uh, next week, we're starting a brand new series, and I'm really excited about it. Uh, we've called the series Switchbacks. Uh, now, I, if you like high, whoa, that was kind of cool. <laughs> the dramatic effect, Switchbacks. We have had all kinds of technical issues this morning. Our first service did not even have a screen in it. And uh, in four years as a church, that was only the second service in the history of our church where we didn't have a screen that worked, which is amazing considering we are portable and volunteer run. And everybody uh, has so many different things to do and so many moving parts that have to work for Sunday morning to operate the way that we intend for it to. It is amazing that that's only the second time that has happened. And so our production team has worked so hard this morning to make this worship experience incredible. Thank you guys so much for all the work you do. We appreciate you. You are serving in your purpose and doing it well, and we, we just honor you. Um, but so this series, Switchbacks, it, it, the idea is I, I love to hike, but I do not like to hike uphill. 
And, uh, and so for me, the ideal hiking trail is one in Florida, you know, or, or there's, there was one, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and we had one called the Palmetto Trail, and it was just the flattest stretch of land. You could see the whole 200 miles of trail in front of you. <laughs> And for me, I, I, love, I love hiking, but man, every, when I get on a trail and it starts to make those switchbacks up the mountain, if you don't hike, a, a switchback is when a hill is so steep that to walk straight up it would end your life. And so you have to go back and forth and work your way up this thing, and it feels like you're not making any progress, and it feels like your heart is going to explode out of your chest, and it feels like, like it is not really getting you anywhere, but at the end of those switchbacks is always the greatest payoff. It's always the best view. It's always the, the greatest feeling of euphoria that you have done something difficult, and, and so really in this series, what we're going to do is four different character studies. And we're going to look at these people that the Bible shows us who had lives that felt like a series of switchbacks and sometimes even setbacks. But in reality, God had a story that he wanted to tell. And so our, our, our goal in this upcoming series is to encourage you and to offer hope to you uh, that if your life feels like you're constantly in switchbacks, you're not alone and there is a bigger story at hand. And so we're very excited about this series. I hope you'll come back and join us for that. But today we're finishing up our series called It's Time. And this series has just been designed uh, to get us moving. It, it has really been about ending New Year's resolutions because New Year's resolutions do not work, people. I'm telling you. New Year's resolutions are uh, a tradition that we have to get our hopes high so that we can be very disappointed by January 5th when we have already eaten the entire box of Girl Scout cookies and the whole thing has failed. Um, I, I think a lot of times we have these high hopes and ambitions for the way that we want our life to go in a new year and the, the changes that we want to make and the differences that we want to see. But often those expectations, those hopes, those changes that we want to make, they fall short because we continue doing the same things that we've always done. And so uh, it, it, this series, our goal has really just been to give a little beep beep, you know, hey, the light is green. It's time. The time is now to make the changes and, and to, to begin uh, to live the life that we were created to live. And so we, we've talked about the idea as a whole, and we talked about uh, how it's time this year to choose joy, that this is going to be a year of joy for us, no matter what our circumstances are. Last week, we talked about how it's time to surrender, to surrender everything that we are to the one who made us and to pursue him in a brand new way. And today, I really want to just kind of pick up where I left off last week and, and talk about how uh, if we are going to make those changes and if we're going to succeed in living the life that, that I believe we were created to live, that we're going to need each other. And so I've titled this, this message, It's Time for a Group Project, because I want to talk about a group project this morning. I believe that finding freedom discovering your purpose and making a difference in that purpose. Living the life you were made to live is not an individual assignment. It is a group project. God has a purpose for your life. He has a dream for you. You are gifted and created exactly the way that you are on purpose for a purpose. But I believe that your purpose connects to the larger purpose of the big C church. 
In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Over and over, Paul paints this picture about how as the church, we depend on one another. We need each other. We are all like a body with different designs, different purposes, different gifts designed to work together for the same purpose. In our good days and our bad days, we are designed to go through life together. And as we pursue freedom and as we pursue purpose and all of it, we were designed to do so together. As Robbie quoted in the first week, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. And so I want to talk about together today. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, it says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's important for us to keep our eyes fixed on the one who has called us, to keep moving closer to him, to keep pursuing him, to pursue relationship with him, to surrender ourselves completely to him. And as we do so, it's important for us to look to our left and to our right and see who we are bringing closer to him with us. How do we spur one another on? How do we cheer one another on? How do we link arms and go forward in this journey together? And then he says, interestingly, don't give up on together. And I think it's interesting that the author says, don't give up on together the way that he says it. Because I believe that even then, even in the first century of the church, without all the history, without, without all the baggage that has come over the last 2,000 years, even in those first moments, people were learning that people are imperfect. And as imperfect people trying to move towards this same goal together, sometimes it can be challenging to choose together. But don't give up on meeting together, as some others have done. Encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. I believe that doing life in community is what we were made for, but it is not always easy. I know that it can be hard sometimes, and that's why we settle for counterfeit community or for community like social media, things that give us an impression of community but are not community. It's why we pour ourselves into work and we think of our coworkers as our community. It's why we do things like rely on our spouse to be all of our community and put too much pressure on our relationships because we know we were made to move through life together. We need each other. And so here's what I know about together. A couple things. First, I believe together is God's plan. In Ecclesiastes, the verse we ended on last week says this, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. 
Over and over and over again, the Bible paints this picture of how much we need each other. In the very beginning, in Genesis, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. We see uh, over and over stories of people needing community. Moses is called to lead the Israelites out of slavery, and he says, how am I going to do this alone? I don't have the skill set. I can't do it. And God says, I'm sending someone to meet you. Over and over, we see stories of people in community accomplishing the dreams that God has for them. When Paul talks about the church throughout his letters, he refers to this image of a body with Christ as the head and all of us serving the roles and functions like body parts do over and over again. God's word emphasizes that we were made to be going through life together in community, united with one another. It's true. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that it's true. We can, we can feel this need for community. There's a, a gap that we feel inside of us. It's why we go searching to fill that relational hole in so many different ways. For many people, it's what gets us into church in the first place. It's a desire for community to be around other people. Many of us know that this is something we need, but we struggle with it because we hit some roadblocks along the way. And we do this because together isn't always easy. Together is not always easy. Isn't that true? It can be messy. Together can be messy. Community is messy because combining our gifts and combining our purposes and our dreams also means combining our brokenness. And maybe you have a story of being hurt in community. Maybe you've got a story of being hurt at church. You let people in and you got vulnerable and then people let you down. Maybe you trusted someone and then they broke that trust. Maybe you thought you were safe and then the bottom fell out. Maybe that's why the writer of Hebrews had to say, don't give up on meeting together as some others are doing. It's just, it's, it is easy to give up on together. Honestly, it only takes one bad experience to make us want to throw our hands up and say, I've, I've tried this. It didn't work for me. It's not worth it. Those people are not worth it. Maybe you've walked through it more than once, and maybe you're burned out on together. People are not perfect, and we are not perfect. And as long as that is true, we will be the flaw in community. But I believe that the good outweighs the bad, and that the gifts that we combine together are worth the brokenness that we also bring together. I know that people will let you down, but I also believe that people will amaze you if you give them the opportunity to. Sometimes I think the devil really likes to amplify this kind of hurt, the kind of hurt we experience at church or the kind of hurt we experience in community. I think he, he likes to really put his fingers in it and make it hurt more than regular hurts. When, when we're vulnerable, I believe when we're hurt from being vulnerable, from a place of vulnerability, it's a deeper kind of wound. And I believe that's our enemy at work. Because Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, 
Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think the devil likes to make us want to withdraw when life becomes hard because there's nothing he wants more than to see us isolated. Because he knows that when we're isolated, we struggle to find freedom. He knows that when we're alone, our gifts aren't as effective. And he knows that when we're alone, he can disconnect us from our purpose. And he knows that when we're alone, we're not as much of a threat. I watched the, the, the Discovery Channel series, Planet Earth, and I watched it with my daughter when she was two, which traumatized her a little bit, to be honest. There was this one horrible scene of a killer whale attacking a baby whale, and it will never be forgotten in our household. But I, I will never forget the scene on the African savanna. Have you seen? It's a beautiful series. Here's what I learned about zebras when I was watching, other than that they must taste delicious. Here's what I learned about zebras when I was watching that series. Zebras, when they're together, their stripes make a confusion for the lions that are hunting them. They can't tell them apart from one another. They can't really see them. It, it's, the camouflage only works when they're all together. When they're together, they are almost invulnerable to the enemy that prowls around to devour them. So what the lions will do, they hunt in a pack, and what they will do is one of them will find one that is a little bit weaker, a little bit slower than the others, and they'll start to separate them from their herd. They'll come in between them. They'll, they'll move them away. They'll get them out on their own. And once that zebra is on its own, it's lunchtime. See, I think Peter didn't make a mistake or it wasn't just hyperbole or it wasn't some sensational idea when he uses a lion as his way of describing the devil but I, because I believe that Peter understood how lions worked. They operate best in isolation. And Peter understood this because Peter had experienced it. The night that Jesus was arrested, the enemy put a wedge between all the disciples. They scattered. They ran. They were alone. And it was there when he was alone, that Peter was the most vulnerable. It was there when he was alone that he had the worst night of his life. He denied the one that he loved with all of his heart. He turned his back on his Savior, something that he would struggle with, that he would have guilt from, that he would feel so hurt by, happened while he was isolated. When Peter wrote this, I'm certain that was on his mind. I know that community can be hard. And that recovering from the wounds that happen in community can be difficult. And I'm not saying we should just overlook it. But I am saying that we shouldn't give up on it. Do not give up on meeting together as some have. Because I believe it is worth it. I believe that when we are together in community, we're safer, we're stronger, and we have a greater chance at finding freedom than we have in any other circumstance. And because of all of that, because it's so hard, together takes a choice. It takes a choice. I believe it's time for us to choose community. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think we need to make a plan and put some thought into it and not give up. And we need to choose together. Make the choice to pursue community. Life group signups start today. It's almost like we planned it this way. 
what a, what a great coincidence that we have a way you can do this today, right now. You can go online and look at this list of life groups and choose one that fits for you and sign up for it. We've got groups meeting almost every night of the week on every side of town. Honestly, the topic or subject matter of the group is not as important as you think it is. It is the people that you need. The people and the relationships are what we are looking for. So just join one. Join two and then pick the one you like the best and drop the other one. Just pick one and commit to it. Move your life around to accommodate it. Go whenever you feel like you don't want to go. Still go. Engage in that community. Make a choice to be in that community. You can go to Life Group every week and never have community. You've got to make a choice to engage in it, to let your walls down, to get vulnerable, to allow people to see who you really are and to speak life into you. And then you've got to make the choice to speak life into others and to engage, get somebody's phone number and call them up and take your friendship beyond 90 minutes once a week because that's what it requires. Build a friendship, make a choice to engage community. Make the choice to go to life group and make the choice to join the dream team. I was once having a conversation with someone who was transitioning out of our church. You know, sometimes um, people, um, sometimes we have a conversation with people to help them find a place that fits better. Here's what I know that the local church is the hope of the world. I do not believe that the gathering church is the hope of the world. See, we just believe in the church. And we just, we, we honestly, our, our, what we want for you is for you to be a thriving part of the local church. And sometimes we're not the right fit. And so I'll have these conversations where I'll sit down with people and I have a lot of other friends who pastor churches in our city that are incredible pastors and we'll try to find the right fit for them. And I was having one of those conversations. You never really know what's gonna come out of it, but um, we were having one of those conversations and they told me, it seems to me like you guys talk about community a lot, but my problem with it is that the only people that really have community are people who are either in life groups or on the dream team. And I said, you're right. That's, <laughs> that's very true. Here's, here's, here's what, I, I, hope, what I, I want you to understand, is that you coming in and sitting in here once a week and listening to me talk to you is not community. Being in a crowded room is not having community. Community is something that happens face-to-face. -face. It doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. And it happens on the dream team. It happens on the dream team because when you engage in your purpose, when you link arms with a mission, one singular mission with other people, you build community with those people. Camaraderie happens. It always does. And some of our closest communities in our church are our dream teams. And so, yes, you, you will see the people in our dream teams operating together and functioning in community. But the good news is it's not a closed community. It's open. And it's always, we're always, always, always want more people to be a part of it. There's never an area that's too full. We want people to join the dream team and serve, not so that those areas can have the right amount of volunteers, but so that people can engage in their purpose, so that people can be a part of the mission of the local church, which is what we were made to do, and so that people can build deeper community by doing the mission of the local church together. That's what it is about. It's what we do. And I believe that if you make the choice 
to go to a life group and commit to it or to join a dream team and commit to it and look at people in the eyes and ask them questions and listen to their responses and follow up on those questions. Those are my secrets. I'm not good at making friends. And so I, had to, I came up with a strategy, and that's my strategy. I ask people questions. I look them in the eyes. I listen to their answers. I follow up. It works. Try it. If I've done that to you now, you know I did have a plan. Doesn't make it less real. I still care about you. Um, <laughs> I believe it's important for us to choose community. And so it's time. It's time to choose together. We need together. I want to turn our attention for the next couple of minutes to the life of King David. Because King David was described as a man after God's own heart. But do you know, I believe that he got there by having the right people in his life throughout his life. That he's a product of community, like, like most good people are. And so I want to look at three different people in David's life that made him who he was and walked him towards the potential that God gave him. David's life shows us why we need each other. And the first thing, the first thing that I want us to see is that in community, we call out the best in each other. We call out the best in each other. In the beginning of David's story, he is at the very bottom of the totem pole. He is the eighth child out of eight. Where are my youngest children's at? Youngest children's are a unique breed because they had to fight for everything that they have. Every, every hand-me-down item of clothing that they got was well fought for and earned. My wife, Raelle, is the, is the fourth child of four, the youngest child, and she is the greatest defender of fairness you have ever met in your whole life. When, when a dessert is being sliced, Raelle is there to study with a tape measure to make sure that every person is getting an even slice. She had to fight for it. And David was the eighth of eight. He, th- there was not a lot of, of things for him to look forward in life as the eighth son of eight. He, he wasn't getting a lot of inheritance. He really wasn't sure kind of what his future looked like. In fact, his dad even forgot about him. And, and parents, we, listen, we got to give Jesse some grace for forgetting about the eighth of eight, right? Because I forget kids' names all the time, and it can be easy to do. And, and so Samuel, a famous prophet, comes to town, and he says that God has told him that one of Jesse's sons is going to be the next king of Israel. So Jesse gets all seven of them and just puts them out in front of him and says, here they are, all seven of them, check them out. And Samuel's like, but I don't, the one, God says that it's not any of these. Are you sure you don't have any more? And he goes, I don't think I have, David. I do. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, out, he's out with the sheep. Just a minute. Forgets about him. David comes, and he comes before Samuel. And Samuel, even first, at first, he says, are you sure, God? Is this the one? And God says, yes, this is him. This is the one. And so in 1 Samuel 16, 12 through 13, Samuel speaks life over David. It says, then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David in the presence of all of his older brothers and his father and a lot of other people, most likely. Samuel anoints him and says, the favor of God is on you. He speaks life over him. You need somebody in your life to call out the best in you and to speak life over you. You need a mentor or a leader or someone who can see in you what you can't always see in yourself. When I was 14 years old, 
I was on a church bus coming back from a winter weekend like the one that our students were on this past week. My student pastor, Andy Wood, sat down in front of me and said, John Mark, I want you to know that I see the hand of God on your life. I see the gift of leadership in you. And I believe that God is going to call you into ministry one day and he's gonna do great things through you. And as a 14-year-old, my response was, no, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks, Andy. You're out of your mind. (laughs) That's not for me. But 10 years later, I moved to California to be a church planning intern and student director at the church that Andy had planted in San Jose. When I felt the call to start this church, the very first person that I met with was Andy Wood. And he said to me, John Mark, I see this in you. And I affirm the calling that God's placed on your heart. It's there. He's placed it in you. I saw it 10 years ago. I see it today. I'm with you. And I'm for you. And there have been days since then where I wanted to quit. And I wanted to, I thought, you know what? I called him and said, man, let me come work for you. That seemed like a better fit for me than this. Or, you know what? I think I'm going to buy a boat. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a fishing guide. And, and he would say, John Mark, you didn't ever catch any fish when you're fishing on your own. And say, don't bother me with the details right now. I have a plan coming together. And he always picks up the phone. And he always says, no, John Mark, you're anointed. You're called. I see what God is doing in your life. I see what he's done in you and through you. You're right where you're supposed to be. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. I believe in you. And you just need someone in your life to speak that into you. You need somebody to be able to see in you what you cannot see in yourself. You need somebody to call gifts out in you that you don't know that you have. You need somebody to develop them, to anoint you, to speak life into you. One of the best things that real community can offer you is mentors and leaders, teachers and pastors and people who will speak into you. We need these kind of people in our lives. We need each other. Whether it's a small group leader or a dream team leader or a pastor or a mentor or a close friend, you need someone who is where you want to be so that you can ask them to help you get there as well and let them call things out in you that you can't always see in yourself. Next, I think we need together because we call out to God for each other. David became a man after God's own heart because he had people helping him get there. And if we want to step into our purpose and live the best version of this life, we can, we can. We need people who are calling out to God on our behalf. I said this in the second week of 21 Days of Prayer. I believe that prayers of intercession are some of the most powerful things we can do for one another. And you need people that are both praying for you and that are praying over you and that are coming along next to you when you don't have the words to pray yourself. David had a friend named Jonathan who was closer than a brother. And there's a huge backstory here, but here's the cliff notes. When David was anointed king, there was already a king, and that was a bit of a problem. David was very honoring to this king, King Saul. He fought in his army. He became its leader. He won many battles for King Saul. He would even come and play his harp for Saul to help him when he was feeling overwhelmed or having anxiety attacks or, it says, tormented by demons. But eventually, Saul became bitter at the anointing that David had on his life and decided to kill him. And Saul's son, Jonathan, was David's best friend and helped him get through this season. In 1 Samuel 23, 
verse 15, it says, while David was at Oresh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take, come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. When David was running and afraid and didn't know where to turn, Jonathan showed up and helped him find strength in God. There are going to be days when you feel like you are absolutely in a corner, on the run, with nowhere else to turn. And in those moments, you need someone to help you find strength in God. Moses had his brother Aaron and his friend Joshua. There's this crazy story in the Bible in Exodus chapter 17 uh, where Joshua is leading the army of Israelites in a battle. And as long as Moses' arms are up, praising God, they are winning. But when he puts them down, they start to lose. So when he gets too tired to hold up his arms anymore, Aaron and a guy named Hur show up and hold them up for him. There are going to be battles that you have to fight in this life that you can only win by keeping your arms raised in praise to our God. But in those seasons, it will become harder and harder for you to keep your arms raised on your own. So who is your Aaron? And who is your her? And who is going to go before God on your behalf? And who is going to hold your arms up so that you can keep praising when you don't feel like you can anymore? And who is going to go before him with you and beside you? You need a community of people in your life that are willing to come next to you and beside you in the moments when you need it the most. When we went through Dagny's diagnosis with diabetes type 1 this summer, for six weeks, we could not hold our own arms up. But we did not have to because our people were there bringing us meals, preaching on Sundays, caring for our family in every way that they could. I do not know how we would have gotten through that season without this church. If you've been going through life on your own, you do not have to any longer. It's time. It's time for together. It's time for community. Finally, David became who he was because he had a voice of unwavering truth in his life. Number three, we call out the truth to each other. The Old Testament and human history is full of people making bad choices. There's a lot of men who start out well and finish very poorly. Power, privilege, and time corrupt their character. David could have been one of them. After many years of ruling well and being a man after God's own heart, David made a really bad choice, series of choices. He slept with another man's wife, and then he used his power to have that man placed on the front line of the battlefield, ensuring he would never return home. And David did this, and then he lived in denial about how wrong it was. There's, honestly, there's a lot of stories that go that way in the Bible. There's, there's stories of kings that were good kings, and then something happened along the way, and they became corrupted, and, and their lives ended in turmoil and distress, and it took their people into a place of turmoil and distress and pain. And David was on that path, but he had someone in his life named Nathan. Nathan was the prophet of, of Israel at the time. God spoke through Nathan. And Nathan came to David, and he told him a story about a man who stole something valuable. He stole a lamb from a man, and that lamb that he stole it from was the only thing that that man had, but he took it. 
And then he killed the man so that he could keep it. David hears this story and he gets furious. He says, that person should be punished at once. Bring me that man. Who is that man? And Nathan says, David, you are that man. And his eyes are opened. All of a sudden, he can see the hurt that he's caused and the pain that he's caused. And because he had someone who was willing to speak the truth into his life, even when he didn't want to hear it, we get the words of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. One of the most powerful books of the whole Bible. And David had to live in the consequences of his choices. But he still finished his race well. God honored him. He finished as a man after God's own heart. God took the product of that affair, Solomon, and made him king and gave him wisdom and allowed Solomon to build the temple of God where people would worship for centuries to come. We need people in our lives who are able to help us see the truth when we are blind to it. I think this is why a lot of us turn from community. We turn from community because when we are blind to the truth, it is difficult to have someone come and start to peel back the scales. It makes us respond in anger and it makes us close off. But there is nothing we need more. We can finish our lives well, even if they haven't gone the right way. Even if you started well and you made a wrong turn somewhere, if you have a good community around you, the right kind of people, people that you are vulnerable with, that you allow to speak into your life, then there is hope for your future. Then God can do new things with your tomorrows. He can give you a better ending, a better story. But we've got to do it together. It's time, church. It's time for us to change. It's time for surrender. It's time for joy. It's time to let God do the things he's always wanted to do in your life. It's time to pursue the purpose that has scared you for so long. It's time to accept that God has created you because he has a dream for you. It's time to start to move towards that dream, but it is time to do it together. Together. We need one another. This is what we were made for. It was the plan Jesus had. He took 12 men who were just wildly different, wildly different. In the same group of 12, he had a guy who worked for the Roman government and he had a terrorist against the Roman government in the same group. And he showed them how their gifts complemented one another and how they, how they could work with one another and grow from one another and the way that the way that the church would function out of that and that's how the church started it was always his plan him at the top and all of us working together underneath him the church is not about a pastor it's not about a worship team the church is what happens when we all accept that together we can bring hope to a world that is lost without it we were made for this church. We need each other. And so it's time to stop keeping people at arm's distance. 
It's time to stop avoiding the hard conversations. It's time to stop going into a community and standing there and, and keeping, it, keeping yourself protected. It's time to stop avoiding the heartache that comes with community. There will be heartache. People will let you down. You will experience brokenness, but you will also experience gifting, and you will experience purpose and promise and blessing and joy and fulfillment. It all exists together right now. One day, all the bad stuff will fade away. It'll disappear. It'll be gone. But for now, today, it is worth it because we were made for this. And together, there is so much ground we can take. It's time for us to take it, to step into it, and to do it. And so if you're here this morning and you've ever been in high school and you know the feeling when, when the teacher hands you an assignment and it's overwhelming, it's beyond your depth, it's going to take way too much time. And then they say those magical words, this will be a group project. <laughs> yes, Jesus. And suddenly the burden is lifted. You get to share it. Listen, this is a group project. You get to share the burden. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't, you don't have to figure it out by yourself. You don't have to find freedom alone. You don't have to discover your purpose alone. You don't have to make a difference alone. It's a group project. Let somebody share it with you. If you're in here this morning and you've spent your whole life pursuing fake community or not letting people in, or maybe it's just been a long time and you're still holding on to that hurt, I, I want to give you the opportunity to make a change. Everyone in here, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you don't, haven't got a relationship with Jesus, this is where we start. He's the beginning of real community. And say this prayer with me. And together, 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 we'll take our next steps. Father, I thank you for making us to go through this life together for giving us a way, Father, to put our gifts together, to put our, our dreams together, our talents together. Father, forgive me for trying to do it on my own. Forgive me for every mistake, every sin I've made along the way. I believe in you. I believe that you have a dream for me, and I want your purpose for my life. And so I give my whole life to you, everything that I am. I commit it to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.